Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Ridgeview Church's online service. We're so glad that you've decided uh, to join us uh, this morning. Uh, We are launching a brand new series called Questions People Ask. And we're looking at four questions uh, related to uh, the Christian faith. And so since we're starting a brand new series, I want to just kind of explain uh, some of my thinking behind uh, why we're doing what we're doing. Uh, First, Questions are actually important things uh, to, to ask. As we ask questions in life, uh, we tend to get answers. That's why we ask them. We want to know uh, information. We want to have background and context. And as we ask questions and get information, it actually helps us get our bearings around certain subjects. It helps us understand more about ourselves and life. And so questions are, are really important. At a young age, we, we learn to ask questions. A popular game for us in our family on road trips is we ask 20 questions where someone thinks of something that someone needs to guess and everyone participates by asking questions. And the more questions you ask and the more background you find, again, it fills in a lot of holes and it connects a lot of dots. Uh, In this series, we're asking questions specific to the Christian faith because we also believe that this season in our life right now is a key time to get bearings to get answers. Uh, You may feel like me, just everything going on in life, that things are just kind of swirling. You may feel uh, like here's a pic of a a boat in a storm. You may feel like that where you're just kind of getting tossed and blown and it feels very uneasy in life. But as you ask questions, specific, really important questions, questions related to the Bible, questions related about Jesus, about faith, you actually can discover the truth. God has given us his word And he also wants to walk with us in a real way so we can have experiences, all of these of which allow us to understand what reality is and how to live life in a way that matches the reality as as God has set. So I hope that not only will you get more information, but as you learn more, this will actually be a help uh, in your life in a way that that you'll be able to to kind of settle in uh, to the things that that you're facing right now. So again, we're, we're so glad that you've decided to join us. As we kick off the series, we're asking this important question. So questions people ask, we're starting this. What about Jesus? We want to ask questions about Jesus Christ because he is probably the most well-known person in history. Uh, In Christianity, he is the central figure. In our church, it's who we talk about a lot. Again, he said, if if you obey my words and you follow me, then you're going to have a foundation to your life. And so he is somebody that we have to actually, all of us, pause and ask that question. What, what about him? Who is he? What is he about? And what does that, that mean uh, for me? Uh, you don't have to look far in history to even see the impact that Jesus has had on this world. If you look even at our calendar, you have B.C., before Christ was born. Uh, this is how we tell time. And then A.D., the year of our Lord, after he was born, we, we tell time a different way. So his birth represents kind of this, this new era of, of history, of time, of, of reality. And so again, you don't have to look far to see there's something about this figure, Jesus, that's not only central to the Christian faith and to people's lives, but also if you look, the whole world kind of surrounds in different ways this person. And so today we're going to dig in to specific questions about him. So let's start questions people ask. This is a question that I think we should all wrestle with. And it's this, was Jesus a real person? 
So did he actually come to this earth, enter reality in space and in time, and was he here just like we were here? We're obviously here in modern day in a different time than, than he was, but is that, is that true? Well, the interesting thing about Jesus and his birth specifically is that there were birth announcements for Jesus that could compare to, to no one else on the history of the earth. In fact, there were birth announcements of Jesus coming hundreds of years before he was born. If you dig into the Old Testament of the Bible, you find people prophesying about this Savior, this Messiah who would be born. And many prophecies existed that talked about the place that he'd be born and the manner he'd be born. Again, hundreds of years foretelling of, of this birth. So when you think of this, did he live and did he really, was he born? That You've got these, these birth announcements happening long before anyone could have known that he, this would happen. You also have people that heard about his birth uh, after the fact, like the wise men or the magi that we, we share about in the Christmas story. Then you also have people who heard the day of, of his birth, this announcement, like the shepherds that we find in Luke 2. And I want to read that to you. It says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. So if you ask the question, did Jesus really exist? Was he born here on this earth? Well, you have prophesies about his birth hundreds of years before it happened. You had shepherds here in Luke 2 that, that heard that this Messiah would be born in this specific place and you'd find him in this manger wrapped in these cloths and they went to go find him once they got over their fear and, and it was true. But what's interesting about Jesus' birth and the story of his life is you actually can look even beyond the biblical accounts. In fact, his birth is, is basically widely accepted among uh, scholars, New Testament scholars, history scholars uh, throughout the world. In fact, you find him listed uh, in the writings of Thallus, which was a first century Greek writer, Pliny the Younger, not to be confused for Pliny the Older. Imagine that being your name. He was a lawyer and an author of ancient Rome. He mentions Jesus' birth. Tacticus and Sudenus, uh, they're Roman historians. And then Flavius Josephus, who's probably one of the most well-known Jewish historians. All of those are extra biblical sources where they are saying like this figure in history uh, was born. And so you have the Old Testament prophecies, you have the announcements of his birth in real time, and then you have other accounts of historians and scholars that have it in their early writings as well. And so that question, was he a real person? The answer is, is yes. And not only that, when you dig into the New Testament of the Bible, you find that there's four independent biographies that come with their own viewpoints of his birth, but all that tell the same story of how he came in Matthew, in Mark, in Luke, and in John. So these four independent biographies put together with the Old Testament prophecies and the historians and the scholars of the day writing the same thing, you can see this, the answer to this question. Was Jesus a real person? Yes. And you can find it in the scriptures and you can find it in history. But that's a really important question. Well, what's another question that 
that you may want to ask. This is something you may have thought about before. In fact, when people ask questions about Jesus specifically, this is probably one of the most asked questions of all time. And it's this, what did Jesus look like? Have you ever asked that yourself? In fact, if I were to tell you right now, I want you to picture Jesus in your head, or I want you to get a piece of paper, and I want you to sketch a portrait of what you think he would look like. What what are some of the things that, that you would depict? I imagine one would be, does he have long hair? Does he have like a a beard and maybe a goatee? But another question is, what what color is he? How tall is he? What what does he he look like? Something about appearances are very important to us, and they they always are, because it's part of how we know somebody. And so that question, what, what did he look like? Well, what's interesting about what Jesus looked like is we don't have, I guess, these picture that was passed through the ages, but we can kind of know what he didn't look like. And even the scriptures uh, talk about that. So to know what he looked like, we kind of have to know what he didn't look like. Check out this account in Isaiah 53. This is verse two. It says, he grew up before him like a tender shoot. This is talking about Jesus. Again, a prophecy about his birth. And like a root out of dry ground, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Isn't that a really interesting description? Now, through history, there's been different pictures that you can see that are famous of Jesus. Here are some. Here's St. Catherine's Monastery in Egypt. This is a famous picture of of Jesus, according to what people think. Uh, This is a shroud of Turin, which many people say, like, this is what Jesus looked like. And then this third picture is, is like Jesus' face, according to forensic anthropologists, gathering all the facts of what they knew about people that day, what they look like. This is that depiction. Does that match the picture you have in your head? Do those match the description found in Isaiah? What's very interesting, when you think of Jesus' influence and the impact that he had on people, you can really see that his impact was not tied to his looks. If you're in a grocery store right now and you want to see what's important, you look on the aisles of these magazines, they're always good-looking people, beautiful people, and you want to kind of look and find out more about their lives. There's something about appearances which really draw us in. Celebrities, things on the news, it's always about what people look like. We're fascinated by people who are beautiful or handsome. We're also fascinated by people that seem to like, man, they don't look as good as they used to. We're always looking at the outward appearance. But as you ask that question, what did Jesus look like? Again, here's some things that we know he wasn't like. One, he, he was not white. He wasn't a 6'3", probably blonde hair surfer California guy that we may picture in our head. Uh, he was a Mediterranean Jew. His skin would have an olive tone to it. He would have been darker like many of the people that exist in that region today. When you think of Jesus speaking, does he speak English? The interesting thing is Jesus didn't speak English. He actually spoke Aramaic and he was schooled in in Hebrew. So his heritage is, is even different than us as Americans. But oftentimes when we picture Jesus, when we think of Jesus, we almost put him in this American light. Isn't that interesting? Um, most would agree because of people of that day in that region, he wasn't tall. He was probably well shorter than six feet. And so that question, what did he look like again? What didn't he look like? Probably not an American picture 
that we've seen maybe growing up in Sunday school or we've seen in different depictions. But what we do know is his status and his influence and the draw that he had on people, according to scriptures, is not because of what he looked like. It's because of who he was and it's because of what he said. So very interesting. So did Jesus really live? History, the biblical accounts say yes. What did he look like? Well, we can kind of know what he didn't look like. Let's dig into another question. This one gets into a little bit specific of, of his identity. And this question is this. What did Jesus say about himself? Again, that's an important question. Because we may have our own question, our own answers, but, but I want to know, what did he say about himself? People in the day when Jesus lived, and as he was ministering and he was helping people, they were always wanting to know the answer to this question. Who he was, where he came from, what he's all about. Why does he do what he he does all about his identity. They're, they're just trying to gather facts, get information. In a way, maybe put him in a box, put him in a corner. He had people from just so many different ways, curious because they loved him or curious because they hated him. And Jesus had all sorts of people asking the question. But when people asked, he gave them straightforward answers, although it may not have been in the terms or in the style that they wanted. You see, Jesus gave straightforward answers, but also caused them to think cause them to kind of question even the questions that they are asking themselves. In John 8, we see an account that's kind of all about questions about his identity. And he's talking to some Jewish people and they're they're really trying to nail this down and they don't quite know who he is, how he fits in the society. And again, they're trying to put him in this box, trying to figure him out. And this is what they say to him as they're having this conversation about his identity. This is John 8, verse 41. It says, the only father we have is God himself. Verse 42, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me for I have come from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. So again, they're trying to figure out who is, who is this Jesus? And they ask him and they're saying, you know what? I don't know who you are, but all we have is God himself. And Jesus says, well, actually, I'm glad you said that. God himself sent me. That is a straightforward answer and begins to kind of escalate. They're not quite sure they, they like that answer and they think, okay, there's something different about this guy even more. The fact that he would even answer us like this. He's saying that God sent him. I don't quite know if that's the case. And they begin to talk about, well, maybe he's a Samaritan. Maybe he's a foreigner. The reason he seems like a mystery, the reason he talks differently is he's not even one of us. He doesn't even belong here. And then some were even to go as far as, well, maybe he's demon-possessed. Maybe there's just something inherently evil and wrong about him. And so they begin to question him on these things. And Jesus, knowing this, in verse 51 of chapter 8, says this, Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. As some were wrestling, is he a Samaritan from Samaria or is he demon-possessed? When he said that, like, oh, he's demon-possessed. There is something wrong. He is not speaking the truth. They begin to talk and go on and try to, again, corner him. And then they ask this question in verse 53. Who do you think you are? Now, that could have kind of a double meaning. Not just who do you think you are, but who do you think you are to say such things? 
And then this is where the story grows exponentially and the drama unfolds. And this is what he says in verse 58. Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Verse 59, at this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Now, very interesting. They're having a discussion. Different facts are coming. Jesus is explaining. And all of a sudden, he makes a statement which flips the whole script. In a way, like a riot is about to break out. They are literally grabbing stones to kill him because of two words he says. I am. Now, for us in America or in the English language, anyone saying I am is like an incomplete sentence. But to Jews, to the Hebrew people, God's people that were chosen, this is the actual description of an identity of God. It was only to be used for God himself. So for any human, for anyone to say that was blasphemy. From their vantage point, worthy of, of death. And the reason is this is actually tied to Moses and God speaking from the burning bush in the book of Exodus. And this is what it says in Exodus 3. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. So when Jesus said, I am, everyone listening, including Jesus himself, knew that he was talking about this revelation of God speaking to Moses. Moses is asking the same question. What am I supposed to say if people ask who has sent me? What am I supposed to say for people who ask who is this God? And God says, I am who I am. And you tell them, I am has sent you. He's speaking of this, this Godhead that you can't really define. It's this reality in the beginning and the end that God is outside of. He's above all. He's the creator of all. He can't be limited even by our own language, by our own experiences. But you tell them, I am. It's this ultimate description of, of reality, the Almighty One. And Jesus used that same phrase. He knew exactly what he said. There was no mistake. There was no slip of the tongue. Jesus, he's claiming to be God. He's saying, God has sent me. In fact, I am God. And this is part of the mystery of the Trinity. The Godhead, three in one. God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus came and proclaimed, God has sent me, and in fact, I am he. And at that moment, the line was drawn. This isn't just an interesting figure in history. This isn't just somebody who had some interesting birth announcements years and years before he was born. This isn't just somebody that people in the New Testament world wrote about. In this statement, he's claiming what no one else could claim, that he is from God, and he is God. So that's a very important question. Who did Jesus say he was? And if this is true, then there's something about him and his identity that's different than any person who has ever lived. And he was fully God, according to the scriptures, and he was fully man. So let's get to the last question. 
And I think this is, again, one of the most important questions all of us ask. And it's this. Did Jesus really die and come back to life? And I think this is connected to the other question. If God sent his son and he's a part of God and he's Jesus, the son of God, then is it possible that he really did die and he came back to life? Not only that, but is it possible that Jesus knew it was going to happen and predicted it? Well, according to the scriptures, that's the case. Check this out in Luke 18. This is Jesus speaking to his followers, these people that have been with him for three years. And this is what he says. And taking the 12, he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the son of man by the prophets will be accomplished for he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. Verse 33. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. This is a specific proof of Jesus saying who he was. And not only that, but him saying what he will do. I am going to come and I'm going to be killed, and I'm going to be persecuted. My life will be taken from me, but I'll come back to life. And he's saying this before it ever happened. The reason this is such an important question is is if this is true, if Jesus predicted his death and that he would rise again, and then he was killed and he rose again, you almost just can't dismiss Jesus as just, well, he's an interesting figure. Think about the claims that he made. Think about the truth that he's sharing. Think about this prediction and the fact that it came true. There's something to Jesus, which is different than anyone else who has ever existed. The important thing is, is as we ask these questions, we can find answers. Not only that, but we can even investigate this issue of his resurrection. And I believe this is one of the most important issues. If you're investigating Christ, if you're a follower of Christ, this is one of the most important issues that you wrestle with. You need to stare this resurrection. You need to focus on this. You need to give your time to understanding this. Because if you do, and you see it as being the truth, it will change your life. And it will change actually the way that you see the world. It changes your identity as you understand Jesus' identity. It changes your destiny as you understand Jesus' destiny. And that's how God intended. This is not just kind of a a history or a science project in which it's just interesting information. It's actually supposed to be transformational. There's actually a man who this happened to. His name is J. Warner Wallace. He was a forensic uh, detective, cold case detective for the city of Los Angeles here locally. He was very good at what he did. And he was able to look at evidence and take the evidence and follow it to be able to track crimes and to solve mysteries that no one else uh, could solve. Well, in his own life, somebody invited him to church, him and his wife, and he was very skeptical of Christianity. He was skeptical of Jesus. He was skeptical of the scriptures. And he just kind of looked at it from a distance and decided, well, you know what? Based on my training and based on all that I know, I'm just going to investigate who Jesus was. Here in this clip, you describe, he describes his, his journey of this. And I, I just want to share this with you so you can hear from somebody who had 
so much experience in knowing how to get to the bottom of evidence and of claims to get to the truth and how he applied that to the scriptures in his own journey with Jesus. So let's, let's hear from him together. Jim was intrigued, so he bought a $6 Bible. I wasn't about to spend any more than $6 on this. And I was looking for the red letters. I want to see what Jesus has to say. If he's got some wisdom to share, let's hear it. Jim put his training as a detective to work and poured over the Gospels. He discovered something that in his line of work was critical to any investigation. Eyewitness accounts. If you have multiple eyewitnesses who see the same event, they never tell you the same story. But they do tell you a story that can be seen together like a puzzle. I was seeing these characteristics in the Gospels. And I thought, wow, you know, in some aspects, I think this stuff feels and looks a lot like eyewitness testimony. And so I was willing to take a step with it and start to examine it as an eyewitness account to see if it would hold up. This was intriguing to me because it was a claim not just about some wisdom from the ancient past, but a claim about an event that either occurred or didn't occur in the ancient past. And that was something I could test. Jim also looked into the writings of other ancient historians to verify the accounts he found in the Bible. So I think as I went through that process of digging, looking at language, looking at the template that I used to evaluate eyewitnesses, I became more comfortable and more confident that those were accurate, reliable eyewitness accounts. We were both learning so much um, at the same time. When Jim's atheism couldn't stand in the light of the evidence, he was faced with one question. Why do we need a savior? To answer that question, Jim had to admit that his pride was keeping him from accepting the truth about Jesus. It wasn't that there wasn't enough evidence. It was all about realizing, I'm not God, and realizing that, man, I have, I'm a mess. And there's a lot about my life that I uh, would like to change, a lot that I'm not proud of, a lot that I need forgiveness for. Jim, the good guy, needed a savior too. I, for a lot of years, worked hard to resist God's Spirit. And at some point, I just said, okay, I'm done. I believe it. I'm in. I submitted everything to Him. I submitted everything to Christ. I submitted every waking thought. I hope that was, was helpful to you. I appreciate his, his honesty, the fact that he's... Does this stand up? And that's what's so important about this series, questions people ask. Well, Christianity can stand up to our questions. It can stand up to our doubts. It can stand up to maybe some of the things that we don't understand. The key is that we actually lean in to get answers, that we investigate for ourselves. In fact, this series is something that, that we've adopted from James Emery White, who's a pastor, and he wrote this book called Christianity for People Who Aren't Christians. And you'll see that on the screen there, the book cover. If you're investigating Christianity or you'd like some more answers to some of these questions and you will read this book, we want to actually offer this book to you for free and give you a free copy. We're going to send that to you. If you fill out your connection card today, you let us know that you'd like it, you put your address, we will send it to you. We want you to be able to ask these questions and investigate this yourself. And James Emery Wright put this book together. It will be very helpful to you. But I encourage you to investigate. As people have looked at the eyewitness accounts, again, eyewitness accounts is what is used to really build a case to decide if something is true. Here's what is widely agreed upon, not only uh, according to the scriptures and its own accounts, but even according to all of the other sources that exist at the time. 
Here are some of those. It's agreed upon that, that Jesus, he died by crucifixion. It's agreed that there was an empty tomb. People agree that very soon after his death, his followers and numbers upwards of 500 people claimed to have seen him. What's interesting about that, not only did they claim to see him, but their lives were transformed as a result, even to the point where people were killed for their faith because of what they had seen. So you think about that. People that say, I saw the resurrected Jesus and were going to be persecuted and their life taken from them unless they renounced him, said, I, I, I can't, for I have seen him. Think about that. Now that stands up. James, Jesus' unbelieving brother, became a Christian due to his own experiences. He believed in the resurrected Christ. Again, this is a brother who, he was unbelieving. He, he kind of would have all the inside information. And then even the Christian persecutor, Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, he became a believer after a similar experience. This is widely agreed upon. This happened in history. There's accounts of this in the Bible and outside the Bible that these things happened. And that's what J. Warner Wallace began to see, all these accounts. They're leading to this story. They're leading to this fact that Jesus said this would happen. The history books have accounts of it happening. And then eyewitnesses of seeing it happen. You have to ask the question, well, how, how could I not believe? But again, you don't have to follow blindly. This is something that you can investigate yourself. So why is this question so important? Well, this is what Christ's resurrection means to Christians. By his death and resurrection, death has been destroyed because the Lord and the Messiah, he came to reverse the effects of sin and death and destruction. So his death and resurrection means the destruction of sin. It also means that Christ's resurrection demonstrates that salvation has been accomplished. The sin's penalty, it's been paid and the power of death has been broken. So it's, it's done, it's complete, it's finished. And then also Christ's demonstration and his resurrection, the fact that this happened shows that, that judgment has come and it will come to this world. In the book of Acts in seven, chapter 17, verse 31, it talks about that the resurrected Christ will judge the world. And so since Christ has risen from the dead, this judgment will come to us all. And we're all going to be judged by this risen Christ. Why? Because he defeated sin. He is the only righteous judge. And so all of these things, they make a difference. So here at Ridgeview Church, what about Jesus? Not just what he looks like or did he live, but did he die and did he rise again? These are the questions that we must face and answer. And if it's true, it transforms all of life. As I wrap up, I encourage you to take some steps to investigate for yourself. You don't have to follow blindly. Again, Christianity can stand up to the tests thrown its way. And I encourage you, take some steps to investigate uh, for yourself. Here are some next steps. If you've never decided to follow Christ, today you can decide for the first time that you're going to commit your life to follow Christ as your Lord and Savior. You're saying, I believe he said who he was, and I believe that he rose from the dead. He died for my sin, and therefore I can follow him. If you've never decided to become a Christian, and you've just been kind of holding on and just delaying and delaying, 
Today you can decide to go all in. Surrender your life to him. If you've never done that, let us know on the connection card. The second next step, I'll read about or talk to someone to get answers to my questions about Christ and Christianity. If you have questions, don't feel bad. Ask your questions, but I encourage you. What I always want people to ask themselves, if if I get answers to the questions that I have, will I follow Jesus? So you really want to ask that question. If I get answers to this question, will I follow him? Take that journey. Third, I'm going to attend the rest of this series to get answers to my question. I encourage you to come back. Next week, we're going to talk about the identity of, of God. And also, if there is a God, why do things happen in the world? Why, why does suffering and, and evil exist? We're going to talk about that next week. So I hope you'll join us for the rest of this series. And then last but not least, maybe you want to join a missional community. As we're talking about these questions, we're talking about growing in our faith, you may just feel like you're kind of alone and you're trying to figure out things by yourself. We, we actually here at Ridgeview, we have groups of people that we want to walk with, grow with, ask these questions with together, and we want to help you grow in your faith. And so if you'd like to be a part of a missional community, we have three uh, regional missional communities that are going to be get, getting launched soon. I encourage you to be a part of that. Let people walk with you on your journey as you're taking steps towards following Jesus. So as I wrap up, go ahead, click on that connection card tab, fill it out. Let us know how we can pray for you as well. We'd love to pray for you. We're so glad that you've decided to join us this morning. We hope that this helps you in your own faith and we're here to continue to help you grow. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the fact that you've given us your word to verify, to get answers, to even just understand things more clearly, to gain, to gain wisdom. You, you've not left us alone with just this, I guess, faint image of who you are. You, you've revealed who you are, and then you sent your son to be here with us, and he dwelled, and God, Jesus is the, the most important person that's ever lived And his life and his death and his resurrection are the most important things that have ever happened in history. God, will you help us to stop, slow down, and to marvel at that? For people who are skeptical or have questions or doubts, God, will you meet them on their journey that they're on? Help them to see clarity and and to get the answers that they long for. God, we, we do not need to be fearful of what we may find, we know that we will find you as we look for you. So just give us the eyes to see, the courage to take steps forward in our faith. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.